0: up guys welcome back to the social standard podcast my guest today is Karina Owen she is a chief brand evangelist for purple cork and we are going to get down into the weeds on what it means to be an evangelist what this trend is and what you need to know so Karina what's up and welcome
1: hey Jess thanks so much for having me on I'm a huge fan of your podcast so it's just such a treat for me to be able to join yeah
0: that's so awesome I'm, I'm glad to hear it um and as i alluded i want to talk all about like what it means to be an evangelist so before we do that just tell me a little bit about like how did you become an evangelist for purple cork
1: yes so it's a great story i work for purple cork we're a virtual experience uh solution so we create curate very uh specialized experiences for vineyards across the world that you need exclusive access to for b2b audiences and i actually was purple cork's second customer. So three years ago when she launched during 2020, so the height of when everything was needing to go digital, I was her second customer uh, right behind Sixth Sense, if you're familiar with Six sure. Sense. And, um, I have just been a fan ever since. So I was probably one of her most, you know, raving fans for the uh for what she offers and so i have been taking her of course with me from company to company putting her into all our programs putting purple cork into all our programs but then i've also just been you know the dark social i've been talking to my peers and advising them on Who should they select for these types of experiences? And so I've been evangelizing her just organically for a while. And so she came at a point where she was really needing to, she was experiencing hyper growth. And she reached out to me and we talked about what a collaboration could look like and it ended up turning into really a full-time position. So it's really just a great strategy that she deployed to think about, hey, how can I take my best fit customer and utilize them full-time? Super smart. Wow, okay, I wanna get into that in a lot of detail um, shortly.
0: But before we do that, let's just, since you are an evangelist, tell me, like, what does it
1: mean to be an evangelist in 2023? Yeah, I think for B2B especially, it's going to look quite a bit different than maybe what people would typically consider. Um, my role, like I sit within the marketing C-suite, right? But I'm, of course, involved in sales efforts. I'm involved heavily in operations, um, you know, pricing, positioning and packaging like that all falls under me, too, and my work with our co-founder. Um, But it's just encompassing of how can we best get our message out to the market? And I'm really kind of a channel, essentially, is how I think that most founders could think about what is an evangelist going to be. So you could have... An internal subject matter expert, so SMEs, like that could be how you see an evangelist. Um, how you leverage third-party research firms, you could see that as an evangelist, especially if your category is fairly new and maybe those things like Gardner-Parrish don't exist for you, and you want to be seen with more of that enterprise audience. You know, that's how you could be thinking about an evangelist. But I think it looks different from company to company. But certainly, all those different types of roles and responsibilities I described could fall under what an evangelist would do. Okay,
0: that that makes a little bit more sense to me because I had mentioned this earlier, but. Before we before we had got connected, I did a search on LinkedIn and just for the word evangelist. And there were like 24,000 people that have evangelists in their title somewhere. And I thought, how? How? How is that possible that so many people could have that? Right. Now, I think there are definitely going to be some that have a religious bend, which we can kind of, even if you omit those, let's say half of them are that. Still 12,000 people. That's still quite a lot. And this is just in the U.S. So, you know, to me, that... That smells like a trend a little bit and i also think that if you look at if you look a little bit deeper i'm guessing that there are a lot of people who are evangelists that don't necessarily have that in their title so i think probably one of the best examples i have right now is salesforce um they had been in the press recently paying matthew mcconaughey like 10 million dollars to you know
1: to be an ambassador for them and really he's kind of an evangelist in a lot of ways Right, you're spot on. Um, I think even too LinkedIn recently, they're they're not. I don't think they're calling him that, but um, mm-hmm. God, what is the rapper? Lud- no, no, Snoop Dogg. Oh, Snoop Dogg. They yeah. actually brought on. Yeah, <laughs> they brought him on. I started seeing him all over LinkedIn. That's where I pretty much spent all my time creating content. Sure. And I was like, oh, smart. Okay, they're taking a celebrity. I mean the 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 play-in I'll be curious to see how that plays out because I don't know how targeted that approach is right like how targeted is that audience other than just being like a Matthew McConaughey figurehead right um but yeah I think that's the goal um I think that also like influencers right that's certainly a different way to look at it too but um I think the ideal should be that you're really so I talked about before how like she brought on her best fit customer me That's how I think you should really look at it, Um, especially when you're thinking about startups and more niche industries. Like, you really want to highlight who is your core customer, who are your subject matter experts, and it's not going to be these celebrities. Maybe that's going to draw an initial attention, but it's certainly not going to help you scale quickly.
0: Yeah, but you know, I think that probably applies not just to small companies, but to big companies as well, right? Looking at your, what they call ICP, right?
1: Your ideal customer
0: profile. Who is that and who embodies it? And I think what's so interesting is, this is exactly what we do in B2C, influencer marketing, right? You come out, who is your target audience? Who looks like them? Who acts like them? Um, Who is in that conversation naturally? Where are they? And like, how do you then take your product and insert it? It's really, it's really no difference, right? The only I think the main, the main difference, if I'm understanding it properly, is that evangelists are paid by the company as like a salaried position or some sort of
1: like consulting, like long term fee, almost like an ambassador. A hundred percent yeah and I certainly know that a lot of titles for like b2B influencer marketing um you will see on LinkedIn profiles that they have something like brand ambassador or brand evangelist mm-hmm. and that's not typically a full-time role It typically is like a consulting engagement of some kind um, but the chief evangelist is what from what I'm seeing in the market that certainly does indicate that that's a full-time c-suite position
0: yeah and I've seen that too I know canva has a chief evangelist that was probably one of the larger brands that I had seen that had them. And I know um, Adobe, who's a client of ours, they also have several evangelists or people with evangelists in their title. And I do think it's smart because you need people. You know, you're not going to have, like, does Canva have a a huge sales force, a huge sales team? And I don't know. Maybe they do, right? But to have someone Mm -hmm. who's out in a public facing, who's public facing, can draw a crowd, has real influence, and is
1: not the CEO. Right. Exactly. I think, too, you know, my former company was Gong, if you're familiar with them. Yes. And our former CMO, so our first CMO, he transitioned from being a CMO to actually the chief evangelist. And we brought on a new CMO to be more operational. So I think that it depends, too, you know, this the stage you're at with your company. Right. Um, we do have a they do have they do have a pretty decent sales force, but they didn't want to completely lose that brand integrity because he helped build the brand. He knows the audience inside and out. He's built all those relationships. Um, but he didn't want to necessarily follow the trajectory of what a, a CMO path would look like. So they just transitioned him to be an evangelist. And that's hmm. because he does embody what an ICP would you know talk about. That's his audience. That's his network. And that's his way to keep, keep being with the company.
0: That's so interesting. So it's a little bit
1: CMO, a little bit salesperson, a little bit business development, really yeah i i would say that it's pretty important that you do have some sales acumen okay. uh to be in this role because i'm constantly interfacing with clients and prospects sure. and forecasting our pipeline um you know and i'm i'm lucky that i made sure that that was something that i developed in my career um that i was in all in all forecasting calls and pipeline meetings etc so i feel really confident i've even been a quota carrier before uh quota carrier before okay. so i feel very confident to do that and i mm-hmm. think it's a necessary skill i do think that You need to not only know how to communicate a message but how to deliver that message and pivot based on what the client is asking of you
0: yeah and that makes perfect sense any anyone who's at the c level should be able to do that right agree yeah yeah i I mean i think but to me that's so interesting because if you think about like what hmm i guess the way that i that i naturally sort of go with that is like okay sure an evangelist a chief evangelist let's work on the fact that this is someone who is showed up, they're showing up, they are an employee every single day at the company, um, and they are an external evangelist, because I know that there are internal and external ones as well. But they're an external evangelist. Like, what, what does that job look like? Like, how do you write a job description for that? What could, what should you (laughs) expect of someone who is going to be your chief evangelist officer?
1: Yeah, I think it's very important to designate between the two, right? Because for a long time, you know, in a Uh, informal way, I was acting like an evangelist uh, for this brand. And I I serve as a formal evangelist for other brands, too. And there is a difference. I think that when I'm working externally and I'm not, you know, on payroll, um, I'm not necessarily always embedded into... What does the pipeline look like? What does the forecast look like? What is our process? What are our new product development releases? I'm kind of on the back end of that. I think when you bring somebody in internally, they really need to have a ton of business acumen to know like, okay, how are we going to help uh, grow this business? How are we going to take it from X to Z? Um, You know, what are the crucial operational elements too that we need to be considering? What are the channels that we need to be focusing on and double downing on? um how are we going to need i talked about positioning earlier like how are we going to position ourselves to grow to that so that's like marketing and product marketing specifically so it's very much i, I hate the same but it's really very much like a jack of all trades or a unicorn mm-hmm. right like you have to have uh, a lot of entrep- entrepreneurial skill sets to be able to step into this role because it's going to evolve beyond just being kind of like a spokesperson which is what i would say um external brand ambassadors are typically tasked with doing is to just push out a message But there's so much more that goes when you're actually in the company right you're taking pushing out a message but you're actually refining it and you're actually implementing strategies to help grow and scale the business wow i mean that that almost sounds like a ceo right (laughs) <laughs> well i do say that i'm very lucky that i feel like i'm riding shotgun here with our ceo right mm-hmm. like i'm like her right hand we're constantly uh in meetings talking about how we're going to grow the business you know what is it going to look like not just now but what is it going to look like in five years maybe 10 years sure and it involves like you know all aspects of marketing and i do think that when i've stepped into because i've been working predominantly in SaaS my whole career. I do think that when I've stepped into organizations, especially when I've had such a direct line to the CEO, um, that's what I found to be lacking as a skill set is, okay, how are we going to market ourselves? How are we going to position ourselves? And then how are we going to, doing, going to do that from stage to stage? Because many of these early startups don't hire a chief marketing officer to their staff for you know quite some time. Like I won't see for many A, B companies, series A, series B, I don't see them have A chief marketing officer they might have like a director um, or even just a marketing manager but Mm -hmm. that level of seniority is typically not seen so that that skill set that you have after working you know decades in an industry specifically in marketing really is complementary to be like right side by side as a ceo Hmm, that's interesting and that makes sense
0: i think for smaller businesses right so is that is that maybe is that the differentiation then if you are a an evangelist of some sort for a small to medium-sized business, you are up there partnering on go-to-market, on product, kind of that jack-of-all-trades role. But as you then look at larger companies like a Salesforce, like a Canva, like an Adobe, you know, those guys, you're not going to get that direct level with the CEO or even the CMO potentially. So they are likely leveraging evangelists more as external-facing spokes men and women spokespeople spokespeople
1: yeah I would say I mean I think that the the best examples you describe would probably be Adobe and Salesforce I think there's probably a lot more division with the C-suite there but I would think Canva like I would think that that chief evangelist is side by side with the CMO if not the CEO as well because it's so much about um you know managing that subject matter expert to be the brand essentially right like they're becoming the brand and. That's what makes influencer marketing today just so important because you know we can't be everywhere at once we can't optimize every channel to the fullest so you know especially in the age two of ai you know content's going to really start to become really commoditized Mm -hmm. and what's going to really matter is the relationships that you have and the relationships that people within your company have with your key you know stakeholders that you want to sell business to yes um so i think that it's 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 a very it's a very new role. And there's a lot that I think can be, can be done to maybe formalize it a bit more, to mm-hmm. make it more accessible. But I do think that marketers who are looking to level up their career are really, really well suited to step into a role like this, maybe then the trajectory path to CMO.
0: Yes, I love that. I think that's so smart. And I love that you brought up the AI component because I do think that that, I mean, that's huge. We're, we see that on our end as well, right? We have a whole sort of LinkedIn strategy. We do a lot of things. We do the podcast, hello. And you know, all of, <laughs> all of these sort of like, um, pull. Like we want to, you know, we want to pull people in instead of pushing our message out necessarily. And that is, that's a requirement of every single business now. And I think that we're seeing that mm-hmm. from the startups in the SaaS and the MarTech space, especially are leading the way. Right. And then I think right. that we're going to continue to see these guys build bridges so that larger companies can go co- can co- in and figure that out. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Super interesting stuff though. I mean, it just – I, I can't get over the parallels that you draw from, you know, so many traditional marketing, like, ways, like, influencer marketing, ambassadors, or even look at, like, uh, you know, I just saw a, an ad that Serena Williams had done for Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's also the same. Like, she embodies what they were going after. And they, they kind of mm-hmm. show her and her lifestyle there. So obviously the evangelists aren't necessarily in the ads per se, but it just feels so similar. So, you know, that and you couple I think also with the fact that everybody every business is now now needs a face and a personal um, some sort of personalization. And so I just almost wonder if the chief evangelist officer or, you know, whatever the title ultimately is, this evangelist
1: role mm-hmm. isn't just humanizing the brand in another way. Yeah, I think it's a modern look on what should marketing look like? How should it be utilized? You know, I think that for, you know, so many SaaS companies and tech companies, it's you're in spreadsheets, right? You're you're crunching out like conversions for, you know, X dollar to this conversion and you're losing that relationship aspect. I mean, there's there's so many organizations that I walk into and there's nobody on the marketing team, no matter the size, that has maybe ever spoken directly with a customer. And it just blows my mind. And it's just because that's not what traditionally marketers are set up to do these days. They're just set up to kind of be hands on keyboards, pushing out ads and pushing out emails. But that actual interaction and relationship with your audience Typically, it's just happening with sales, but it shouldn't be, right? Like, that should serve a particular purpose. Sure. Um, So I do think that that probably will continue to be the future, again, especially as things become more heavily reliant on using AI to solve for so many of these things that marketers have been typically tasked with.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I like that, though. I think I I always see AI as a tool, not a replacement feature. Um, Yep. And so... I do believe that there's a lot that we can do with AI to free people up to then to to free people up on these sort of administrative tasks, which don't really, truly add any value. Like what's your value, uh, you know, as a person to a company, it's your ability to be a person, right.
1: And so to be, (laughs) to be a person
0: with other people. And so to figure out those connections and focus your time and effort on the relationships, I think is really, um, really wise. And so gosh, this makes me very excited about the, the evangelist role. I just, I wonder what, I wonder where we are in the cycle of Mm -hmm. evangelism, right? It seems like we're early days still, but I'm gonna be very curious to see how the likes of these larger brands start to adapt these sort of roles. I mean, is there anyone big or small uh, besides yourself that you think is doing a really good job leveraging uh,
1: one or many evangelists? Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed with my former company Gong actually taking that approach with our CMO because again, he built the company from the ground up, excuse me. He built the ground up with the CEO. So he was completely embedded with what the brand is, the future of it, where is it going, who are our customers and who are our you know, must-have customers. And he can eloquently speak to that across you know, speaking circuits um, and with clients. So it made perfect sense for the evolution for his trajectory at Gong to pivot maybe from CMO to do something that he was best suited to do, right? Which is to be that relationship arm and not be so in the weeds with growing a marketing team, to your point, that is still very much in the weeds, right? Doing a lot of administrative tasks, you know, pay-per-click, managing agencies, et cetera. Like, is that the best use of your time? Probably not, if you're already at a stage where, you know, you're you're well-known as a brand and you're hoping to expand it and to get into maybe the sales forces of the world. Yeah. And then I think too, um, you know, I'm excited for these smaller companies who have kind of really already taken a really good look at what should our marketing influencing spend and program look like. I'm really excited for them to start to see like, okay, how can I move beyond maybe bringing these individuals on as advisors and maybe actually incorporate them more into, you know, a W-2 environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think something that set me up really well too for this kind of career trajectory was even though I always maintain my marketing roles as a W-2 employee, I was always working, um, in some capacity as an advisor for different tech firms and that allowed me to get in the door. And I did have some, you know, or do, do have stake at some of these companies too, but it's not a full-time position. So it's just a unique way to think about, Hey, what is, what does income look like for me these days? And I think with everybody kind of pivoting from, or most companies, I do see pivoting, doing lots of layoffs, mm-hmm. not wanting to hire on these super expensive marketers that are 10-year and really costly. They are looking at, okay, what does a model look like where I'm actually bringing in-house you know, the voice of the customer, our best uh, brand ambassadors? What does that look like to actually have them full-time to advise us on product launches, our strategy, our positioning, getting our word out there, versus maybe a more traditional marketing setup that just seems to be a little bit dated for today's environment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that really echoes, I think, what we have seen in the last couple of years, especially in and around COVID, where you have a lot of these platforms where you can go and just hire someone like a Fiverr, for example. You could hire a great dev to come in and help you do five or six things, and they're an expertise, and then that, that's perfect. You pay them, and then they can like, move on. You can do it with a copywriter. You can do it with a, you know, a PowerPoint expert. Whoever it is, you get to tap into all of these great um, these people with great skills, great you know great skill sets, great minds, great creativity, but without the need to
1: pay what it would take to get a hundred percent of their time, especially when you probably right. don't need it realistically, right a hundred percent exactly you don't really need a hundred percent of their time, right I mean these creators like they know how to budget their time, they know how to uh, prioritize. They know how to, uh, you know, get you what they know is going to help convert at the highest rate for you. Um, so, yeah, it really frees up a lot of budget, a lot of c- constraints, a lot of time. And it gives people, I think, the flexibility most people would really want, yeah. which is to really have more control, and mo- more ownership, but maybe not own their own business. Right. So that's a way that you can be a self-starter, an entrepreneur without having to take on all that responsibility to run your own company. Yeah. And you still get to
0: monetize your network.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Interesting stuff. I mean, gosh, it's like, my mind is sort of just on fire with all these like different ideas. But if you were, let's say if you are, you're a company and you're going to hire an evangelist. You're, okay, great. You know, what? I listened to that podcast. Karina sold me. I think we need an evangelist. What do you recommend for people to say, to lay out in terms of like to set up a successful
1: relationship? How could you set up a successful relationship
0: when you're hiring an evangelist?
1: Yeah, I think it's super important to, to know what are the qualities and skill sets that you're looking for and does that individual have those skill sets and qualities, but also what metrics are you trying to achieve, because I think most content creators, as an example, um, or most people that would be evangelists, they're going to be able to come in and maybe do a wide variety of needs for you, right, they could Ghost right for you, or they could evaluate your product launch, um, your product offerings. So being very clear and specific, and that can be like a quarter to quarter basis about what you're expecting from them and why, and then making sure that you're in con- consistent communication with them as well, because you're still, you're still training them and you should, whether they're full-time or part-time, you should still treat them as if they're a full-time employee and be very clear about your expectations um, and make sure that they have everything they need to be successful. So that can be tools and technologies, or that could just be having you know adequate vision into what is the direction that the company is hoping to go in. Um, but it can be it can be structured to exactly what you need, and I think that's what individuals, um, content creators, B two B influencers. I think that's what they're best suited for, right? It's leveraging their network, leveraging their voice, leveraging their persona to build and engage and trust um, your audience. So I think that looking at it through that lens and then tailoring it to be super specific of these are the metrics we probably want to achieve but also understanding that there may be some soft metrics and learnings throughout the throughout the process so being adaptable to to adjust that
0: yeah absolutely that makes perfect was that sense. helpful i feel like i oh was my all gosh. over the place no that was really helpful it's i <laughs> you're, you're throwing a lot of good information at me i'm trying to process all of it oh um, good good eloquently okay. but i do think that makes sense and it's very similar to how we would um go out and secure an influencer right you have a contract that you set up with your basic stuff and then you have basically a brief that outlines everything, all the expectations and what we're going to do. So it sounds very – it might be a little common sense, but it's helpful to hear someone actually talk about, you know, what the nitty-gritty of this could, could really look like, you know? Right. Um, because there are so many yeah. different directions you can go, and I think it's helpful to just – I always think it's helpful to set expectations in the, um, you know, in the front and center. Now, how would, you, how would you recommend someone goes and finds an evangelist? Do you think that it's yeah. something that you go and seek out? Do you think it's something that you just sort of need to be out in the market, kind of like how you found Purple Cork, it just sort of happened serendipitously. Right. Like, what if you don't have any, what if, you know, XYZ company doesn't have a Karina who's out there kind of
1: naturally doing this? How do you find someone who would be really good for this? Yeah, you know, I think that, i mean it's going to sound really basic but if you're not already like living and breathing the same content and the same you know virtual watering holes as i call them that your audience is you're kind of already starting behind so i think that it's super important that you are engaged in those communities you can start to spot like hey like that that personality or that tonality that is really like that fits in very well with our brand i wonder if they're very familiar with our products start to build relationships um or just look in your own client base and see if you find these amazing advocates that you maybe do client um you know case study with maybe they actually have the flexibility you know to actually take on a part-time position to do that for you where it benefits them independently there's a lot you need to be mindful of as far as like contracts that you have with your employees and things like that um is a little bit trickier i think in the b2b space than it would be for the b2c but oftentimes it's just finding that best fit customer and if you have a really strong uh, content marketing team especially in place at your organization already you can actually help to shape their voice if they're not already out there crafting their own narrative posting on linkedin uh, creating video content on TikTok, tock etc if you already have a solid marketing team that can help them kind of get up to speed about what does good look like how do they typically do their editing process you can essentially sell to them as like hey this is just a program that we're offering for people where hmm. we're going to have our team like actually take you through what does it look like to post daily on linkedin how do we as a brand actually structure our content we want to use your voice but we want to give you some templates just get started out that was actually something i was just about to launch prior to leaving gong and joining purple cork because we struggled with reaching a c-suite audience because we were really solid with frontline sellers and frontline managers but it was a struggle for us to get vocal advocates in the c-suite who was ultimately who we were trying to target um, in enterprise and I said, look, we can train them like we're well equipped as a marketing team to have our content team and our product marketing team work with these individuals. And essentially what we're doing is we're giving a give to them. Right. So we're going to give them access and exclusive insight into like what product releases are coming down the road. Maybe even you can give them the product for free that they can use in their own efforts, whether that be for personal or business. But you're also giving them education on what does good look like and how can you start to replicate this and how can you start to find and refine that voice? Yes,
0: 100%. I, can't, I cannot believe the, amount, the parallels that, that happen like, between just even like influencer marketing 1.0 and this,
1: mm-hmm. right? And I guess this yeah. is
0: why you know, when I had um, uh, our, mutual, our mutual friend Nick Bennett on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, that's what he's, he laid it out and he said, look, I look at B2B influencers in four categories, uh, influencers, creators, evangelists, and uh, SMEs, right? Subject matter experts. And it's so true. It's like every single one of those types as an influencer, it's just, they all bring about something slightly different. And I think there's, you sure. know, it, they're also not mutually exclusive because I would assume that a right. subject matter expert could very easily and could probably be, um, should
1: probably be an evangelist as well. Exactly, 100%. I was just yeah. gonna say, like those are beautiful categories to to break it down. But I think what you would find is like, if you took the lens of like, let me find my best fit customer and try and put them into this type of role, part-time or full-time, they would check all those boxes because mm-hmm. you've already identified this is our ICP. This is the persona. We know what they look like. They, we know what their problems are. Uh, we know what their interests are. You're just pushing them into a different lens, right? You're elevating them a bit more beyond just like a standard case study of see a goodbye. We're done here. Um, but I do think that the aspect as far as like what can brands do to actually, to your point, if there's not a Nick Bennett already ready to go, how can they actually create a Nick Bennett? And mm-hmm we can help them do that. And a lot of our time, I think, would be better spent actually equipping our audience to not just be really good consumers of our product or our solution, um, but to actually be really good advocates, right? To actually train them how to be really good at relationship building, how to be really good at product positioning, how to be really good at compelling narratives. So... I think that that would be a really wise tactic for most marketing teams to consider and take a look into.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's a thousand percent spot on. We actually had, um, I had the former senior social uh, director of Peloton come on the podcast and she was talking. I love that episode. Oh, it was so good. You know, when she was talking about how, like how they took cast members, right? And mm-hmm. and basically turned them into these social media superstars effectively. And the whole way that they laid that out was Uh, was really brilliant. And you're effectively saying the same thing. Do the same thing, but do it instead of focusing on, you know, in their particular instance, it was the instructors, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of doing that, what's the pipeline for like employees or customers to creators and influencers and advocates? What does that pipeline look like and how do we build it? And I think that is genius, like in and of itself. I mean, you don't need to worry as much about finding them uh, as you do as creating them. And I, I do think I see a lot of smaller sort of SaaS and MarTech companies starting to really figure that out. Um, I think that the, I do think that larger brands are pretty far behind on that. But the reality is, is those larger brands have even more resources, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if if you've got 5,000 employees and 15,000 customers, for example, like within that huge haystack. You know, there are going to be tons and tons of people who could be, who can and should be advocates for you. And I think even the FTC knows this because they had come out with a lot of rules and regulations on disclosure, right? Years and years ago saying, okay, if you're an employee, you still need to disclose that you're actually an employee because technically you are paid by them. Whether or not you're paid to um, talk about this online or elsewhere, you still have to disclose it. Um, Right, right. It's odd that the FTC might have actually foreseen something that the rest of the industry didn't. <laughs> but it is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, hey, I guess that's a that's a feather in their cap a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's super smart to actually try to grow your own, and it's actually something that we um, we're working on internally at the Social Standard. And so some of our uh, some of our employees right now are actually in the middle of a LinkedIn mastery course where they're doing something with. Um, you know, with an individual who's got a good, solid LinkedIn following. He's got a little class. And so we're trying to help inform and honestly just inspire confidence because to your point, so many people yeah. want to do it. They just don't really know how to step into the light. A hundred percent. will.
1: Yeah. And to your point, I mean, I think that's a great example of how you can actually build that up internally uh, with your team. Um, it's a solid strategy. I totally recommend it. I think it's table stakes for companies to just be yes. treating their employees like that. But I would say too, for those that you know are thinking maybe, oh, maybe we should just start here, wait how that works out before we talk to you know external. You know, I would say maybe don't be that. Uh, take a risk and actually do try to reach out to those customers first because they're more likely to have a positive experience with you. They're less like in the weeds of the day to day job environment, right? And they're they're less likely to quote unquote turnover, right? Because mm. even if they move jobs they're still going to have the ability to be attached to you. So I've moved jobs, right? I've been a marketer now at three different jobs where I've been an advisor for tech companies. That didn't affect them at all, right? I didn't leave them as an employee. I just left the brand that I was currently at. And I actually elevated it for them because I took them to another brand where I could also pitch the product and also be seen for my expertise as being an advisor with that company. So it's just such a low-hanging fruit opportunity. And I think only limiting it to seeing it of what can we do for our employees i think that's just table stakes i think sure. that people need to realize like the massive opportunity of having an advocate for you that is a customer that is likely to move and i think that's a good thing that they're likely to move
0: yes exactly why you can take another you could could take you along, with that's what happens to us a lot of times when a person at one client moves they go on and we go with them and it's, it's actually a great growth strategy for us so right. i 100 hear you and i think that's i think that's really wise and i do think that it does you know it does make sense obviously if you are Salesforce, you're not just going to go on matthew mcconaughey's door and say hey man do you want to like do that you know like there's a whole there's a whole way in a system and a process to do these sort of things and i think you know that's something even that obviously we at The Social Standard can help with, right? Because we can actually go out and help you discover who who the right people are to be the face and the voice um, or an evangelist of your brand.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's Yeah, what... and I- Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm very excited to see what you guys offer for the B2B audience because it's just such a, there's such an opportunity. And right now I would say that, you know, content creators and B2B influencers, like, you know, for some of us- that's an advantage. We can use that to our advantage that there really isn't something in place like that, like your solution offering. But for those that maybe need to get a bit more guidance and um, you know, need help with like, hey, what does a contract look like? What's fair? What's equitable? That's going to really help to really kind of standardize what does this look like for the B2B audience versus the B2C.
0: 100%. You might say the social standard, huh? So, <laughs> I would. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that is definitely some of the ethos of our name, right? Is to set the set the standard in the space. And so we're obviously excited to um, continue to do that in the B2B space. But I do think that there's there's a lot of overlap there. And I mean, gosh, it's just the influencer world is only is only growing. And I think that if if you look at influencers, simply as people with an Instagram following, you are certainly <laughs> missing out on a tremendous amount of possibilities and poss- and reach. And that sort of brings me to I guess my my final question for you, which is, do you think that an evangelist needs to have a, a sizable digital presence to be of
1: value to a company? I don't think so. In fact, I think that the more niche and direct their audience is, the more benefit you're actually going to get from it. Um, Take, for example, somebody that has 40K followers versus uh, 10K followers. That 10K following is probably hyper-specific to the role, right? So it's going to be their peers, the people that you want to attract, if that's your ICP. Whereas the 40K may be a little bit more uh, cumbersome. It may have a lot more titles and industries, et cetera. So I think that the more niche the audience, the more likely that you're gonna get hyper-focused, relevant content and expertise, and also be more hyper-targeted to like, who do you really wanna reach? Which is probably going to be an audience that is more likely to convert and buy your product versus somebody that just has kind of like a glorified number of followers. Yeah, I think that's right. I absolutely think that's correct.
0: I mean, it depends if you're, what your ultimate objectives are, but yeah, I agree. I think it's size is, size is not as, it's just not as relevant in B two B because mm-hmm. it's still it's still so new, but the, I guess the, the obvious follow up question there though is, do they need
1: to have some sort of online presence? I think it depends on what. To your point, what is your objective? If, if it reaches objective, I think it's certainly. Um, necessary and helpful because I do think it shows that there's some kind of consistency and longevity. LinkedIn's been amazing. I mean, it's it's hurt some engagement, but they've been amazing about cleaning up inactive users and people that aren't really actually um, active on LinkedIn and then making it to where it's more discoverable for people Mm. to actually find people with their interests, uh, with their content. So it is, you know, it's a slow process, but it is getting better. Um, But what I would say to that really large following uh, nowadays on LinkedIn as a content creator, it's really hard to get to those, uh, you know, six-figure uh, numbers and followings yep. simply because a lot of what you know, there's so many inactive people on LinkedIn. It's I forget the stop, but it's 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 dreadfully painful <laughs> how many people are actually active on LinkedIn versus people that are not. Sure. So those people with those large followings they may have gotten viral with a very basic post that has nothing at all to do with your topic, your industry, or your focus. And that's why you're not really seeing those numbers get so inflated anymore. It's because LinkedIn's done a really good job about making sure that if you're using a hashtag or the quality of your your post is actually relevant to what you claim to say you're talking about. So it's not gonna be that common anymore for you to find people with those crazy numbers because LinkedIn is getting better and better about actually slashing those numbers. Um, and so I would say, look for the people with what seems to be a quality number of followers, but also look if they're actually engaging with, with their people that, uh, comments on their posts, because many of these content creators just kind of do a spray and pray method when it comes to content, they'll put something up, leave it and forget it. I would, if I, if it were me, I would be looking at how are they engaging Mm -hmm. with them in response? Are they being thoughtful with their advice? Are they being thoughtful when there's disagreement? Um, does it seem like there's familiarity with them? Does it seem like they know their audience? That's the difference for me over like vanity metrics, like likes and followers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's 100% the case. Um, we'll
0: just see how long it takes people to really get there and understand yeah. that, right? Because it's so much, it's, I think we've all been so trained by Instagram and TikTok to go for like big numbers and virality and all this sort of stuff. But really, when you take a step back and you look at the B2B space, niches are your best friend
1: I was going to ask you Mm -hmm. I mean having served predominantly the B2C and now doing more with B2B I mean what what do you find are like the benefits of B2B influencers maybe versus things that are more difficult to find with B2C influencers
0: yeah you know I think I actually think that the benefits are really pretty much the same right I mean you you need you need someone else to you need to borrow someone else's audience To show, you know, authenticity, to show like your, you know, your customer journey with the whole product. Um, And then you just need more, you just need more noise in the space about your brand, to be totally honest, right? To your point about AI content being generated, it's like, this is the moment for B2B influencers because they are so good at connecting, at getting into those niches and, you know, basically surfacing the most relevant content at -hmm. this, you know, in this point, at this stage, Right. I mean, it's like right. curation. Curation, right, is, is having its moment again. I think curation had its moment probably about 10 years ago. Um, and then it was all about creation. It's been create, create, create. And while mm-hmm. you still need to create, I do think that you're going to see a lot of people who rise in popularity simply because they have an undeniable
1: ability to curate the best and the brightest. Well, and I think too, and maybe this is a bias opinion on my part, but sure. I would I would think as a, just somebody that's seen B2C influencers for, for, you know, my whole life versus what I see as B2B influencers, it does seem like there's less noise with B2B influencers right now and there is more of an emphasis on actual credibility oh, 100%. versus maybe somebody, right, versus somebody maybe just like being able to throw up like a makeup tutorial, yep. right? Like that's fantastic. But you don't need a lot but of credibility I, to show that the lip gloss looks good, you know? That's fair. <laughs> That's a fair point. But I wonder, like, what would the the ROI look like in comparison for, like, what mm. you would pay a B2B influencer versus what you pay a B2C influencer? I would think it's stronger on the B2B side.
0: Well, I think it, you have to look at, yeah, you, you definitely want to look at ROI because, I mean, your ACV is going to be a lot higher, uh, you know, obviously, on the B2B versus right. the B2C side. But, you know, the, the ROI metrics are very strong on B2C. So... I believe um, that, yeah. You know, I think that, I just think it's a different, it's just a different game, right? For the B2B, it's, it's a longer, uh, a longer tail strategy because nobody, nobody signs up for gong, like in three seconds after one post, right? Right, So you need to hit your customer several times, but it is authenticity is um, of the utmost important with B2B influencers, not to say it isn't with B2C, but like you have less to lose if you buy that chapstick and you don't like it, <laughs> you know, five, yeah. six bucks. Okay. No sweat off my back. But if you commit right. to, you know, a seven figure deal with, you know, a huge, you know, a huge SaaS company
1: and it doesn't work, you're going to get fired. Right. Yeah. So. I think that's a great way to say it is that the autis- the authenticity really has to be ring true. Um, and it really will probably ring true much longer with something like yeah. B2B influencer. Yeah. absolutely. Not considered just like a it's not a, it's not a silver bullet. I guess that's a really great way to like summarize this too. Is like sure. this is not a silver bullet strategy. It is definitely a long term, but it's one that in when things are ever changing and we are constantly faced with uh, what is real content versus automated and generated. I think this is a more tactful way to approach relationships and building your audience.
0: hundred percent. I totally agree. And look, Chief evangelists, we're going to start seeing a lot more of them. I think it's an exciting time to um, to do that. And I think, you know, absolutely. Like, I'm going to be watching um, what's going on in this space. There's, there's no doubt. I'm super pumped about it. And I think, um, I think our audience has probably a lot to learn from this. And if they want to connect with you, I'm going to link down your LinkedIn um, below. So if anybody wants to check out Karina, go give her a follow on LinkedIn. Listen to her podcast. She's got a great podcast as well. Um, and, yeah, Karina, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Jess. Appreciate everything you're doing Thank you so much. All right.